0: Welcome to Moments of Leadership. Today, my guest is the 19th Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, Sergeant Major Troy Black. I want to give special thanks to his ComStrat advisor, Master Sergeant Michael Suentes, for all of his assistance and work to make this episode a reality. Podcasts are still in what I'll call the early adoption phase as a medium for senior leaders across all the services. So getting all the tech set up and setting up the schedules and then reviewing the episode and making the edits and then finally establishing trust with a total stranger, me, on a relatively new project, Those aren't things that happen quickly nor easily when you are advising one of the busiest leaders in the Marine Corps. So thanks again, Master Sergeant fuentes and Semper Fi. You are a credit to the Comstract community and yourself an example for emerging leaders to emulate. Okay, so here are just a few quick updates and some new stats on the project before I start the interview. Now, hang on, don't reach for that advanced 30-second button just yet. Just bear with me. As always, I want to say thanks for all the support on this project. In June, the total listens for the podcast crossed 10,000, which I consider to be a major milestone. And then over the next 45 days, that number actually crossed 16,000. So I just really want to say how much I appreciate all the feedback, the messages of encouragement, the reviews, the comments on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, just all of that. It really means a lot to me. Next, I want to mention that I recently attended an event at the Basic School. And while this really has nothing to do with the podcast, I wanted to share with you all what I saw there and when I visited a class of second lieutenants in Delta Company. And, well, maybe it does have a little bit to do with the podcast since when they were asked if they listened to Moments in Leadership, like seven hands went up. But for all the talk about how recruiting numbers are down across the services and how Americans, you know, they don't want to serve. Well, listen, I'm here to tell you I met 250 lieutenants who feel differently about all of that, so... I just want to say best of luck to you, Delta Company, and your upcoming MOS selections. And if you're one of the lieutenants I was chatting with at the Hawk and you end up with artillery, make sure you reach out to me and let me know that. Finally, a special thanks to a Lieutenant Armstrong for being on the receiving end of some really good natured ribbing by a Lieutenant General. Okay, wrapping up. Look, I, I love this project. And with each new guest comes opportunities to book new future guests. And I want to get into a rhythm of two shows per month, along with doing this new hot wash idea that I have. And I have to do all this while I'm managing my day job, which is, you know, tough. And I need to transition this away from being 100% do it yourself because it's time consuming and I'm not. It's not something I do every single day. So all the equipment and everything is is challenging. And I want to start outsourcing more of the time consuming stuff, like the scheduling. And then I ship these high quality microphones off to the guests and editing two hours of audio and doing all the sound engineering, writing the sound notes, uh, writing the show notes, all the uploading and the hosting administration, etc. So you know I want to do that so I can ensure that both high quality. I want to ensure both high quality interviews and high quality guests. And this is going to require some financial commitment. So I've decided to launch a Patreon account to help raise some money to reduce the personal financial burden. I believe that everyone who wants to learn from the project and also from the guests should be able to. And by supporting moments in leadership through my Patreon account, you help ensure that people who can't afford to pay for this content don't have to. Your contributions will keep Moments in Leadership sustainable, and I appreciate the growing membership of people who feel that the project is valuable for emerging leaders. I got a couple special shout-outs, and thanks to the initial Patreon supporters, Brock Briggs from Scuttlebutt Podcast, Chase Hunter, a dedicated leader and teacher of Marines, The Communicator, an alias for a dedicated Marine officer who shares his knowledge of all that is communication on his Instagram page of the same name, Mark Havoc, John Provenza, Brendan, first name only given, uh, my old friend, Mike Zimmer from back in the 11th new days and Charlie Murphy, AKA the famous Murph from the episode with General Bellin. And if you don't know what that's all about, make sure you go back and listen to that episode. But look, please consider joining this awesome community on Patreon and helping me keep this project going. The link is patreon.com backslash moments in leadership, or I'll put the link in the show notes below. I mean, to be clear, I'm not trying to make a profit off this, and my plan is if the donations reach a point to where all of my costs are covered, I'm going to channel money into P- uh, patrol base Abate. As for the upcoming hot wash episodes, this this will be a panel discussion with a group of officers who are all staff platoon commanders together in Echo Company at TBS in 2019, and they're all still very close friends to this day. It was organized by General Alford's former aide de camp, Joe DePaula, who I got to know while setting up that episode. I barely know him yet. I feel like if I had to turn my keys to my civilian company over to him and disappear for a year, I'd probably come back to even a better performing organization. Uh, He's an infantry officer, and he's currently a student at uh, Expeditionary Warfare School. The panel also includes Captain Zach Queen, who's also an infantry officer, but is currently serving um, as leading the instructor development at the basic school. I got Captain Steve Stevenson, who's a Mustang logistics officer at CISCOM and has over 18 years of experience got Captain Beau Plant, a former Marine Corps AAV officer who has completed an interservice transfer to the United States Army SoF. Captain Virginia Brody, an artillery officer from both the 1st and 2nd Marine Division, and she also has some very significant time in one of Victor 2 One fire support teams. And finally, Major Sean Dudley, who's a supply officer and has a ton of different experiences all across the MAGTAF and is currently out of Camp Pendleton. So our first hot wash, as I'm calling it, is set to record in early September, and we've decided we're just going to hit record. I'm going to throw out some topics from previous episodes, and I'm just going to let them talk about them. No prep, we're just going to go. And the intent is to provide emerging leaders with an opportunity Opportunity to hear discussions amongst their peers on topics that are surfaced by my guests. So this could either be very scholarly or it could be a digital version of pugil stick fighting. I guess we're just going to have to see. My money would be on Brody, by the way, but I'm a little biased towards my artillery family. So before my NCO listeners start throwing snipes, I'm going to get an NCO panel put together. It's just that Joe offered to do all the organizing for this for the first group, and I took him up on it so we could just get this idea going. So stand by. I've got an upcoming episode with uh, first sergeant Seamus Flynn, and I'm going to ask him and Adam Crick from Goons Up to help me get a solid NCO panel together as well. So, well, I mean, I guess I essentially just did ask them, so we'll see what they say. As a starting idea, I'm leaning towards posting these episodes of the Hot Wash exclusively at the Hot Wash level for Patreon subscribers and only then, you know, down the road releasing them on the free podcast players after they've aged for a few months. So I'm still working that out. I just feel obligated to provide that exclusive first to get the Hot Wash episode benefit to that donation level. So look, I'm going to keep experimenting with it since it's my nature to always be searching for a better way. Shoot me suggestions or ideas at themilloffice@gmail.com at gmail.com or over DM on my Instagram account at at the mill office. All right, look, back to this episode. Sergeant Major Black, he assumed his current post as a 19th Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps on July 26, in 2019. He's a native of Louisville, Kentucky, and he attended recruit training at Parris Island back in April of 1988. Throughout his career, Sergeant Major Black has been assigned to a bunch of different duties, including 0 0331 machine gunner, machine gun squad and section leader. He's a weapons platoon sergeant and also a weapons platoon commander. He's been a drill instructor, a senior drill instructor, a DI school instructor, and an RTR drill master. He was a 1st Sergeant in Golf Company, a 2nd Battalion, 1st Marines. He was also 1st Sergeant for Echo Company, 3rd Amphibious Assault Battalion, and at Officer Candidate School. As a Sergeant Major, he served in um, 3-7, Combat Logistics Battalion 5, 11th Marine Expeditionary Unit, 1st Marine Logistics Group, and Manpower and Reserve Affairs. He has deployed aboard the USS Forest Hall in support of Operation Just Cause, and to the Mediterranean in 1989, a story which he goes into a lot of detail on early in the episode. He deployed to Desert Shield and Desert Storm with 3-5 in 1990, and then to Okinawa in 1992, then to Iraq with 2-1, uh, 2nd Battalion, 1st Marines in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom 2 in 2004. And then he deployed with the 13th Mu during Operation Bright Star and then on to Iraq in support of Operation Steel Curtain in 2005. Then over to Afghanistan again with 37 in support of Operation Enduring Freedom. That was in 2010. Then he deployed with Combat Logistics Battalion 5 in support of Operation Enduring Freedom in 2012 and then deployed in support of Westpac 14.2 and Operation Inherent Resolve with the 11th Marine Expeditionary Unit in 2014. Sergeant Major Black has a Bachelor of Science in Terrorism and Counterterrorism Studies from National American University and he's graduated from the Joint Special Operations Forces Senior Enlisted Academy back in December of 2011. So with that Sergeant Major Black, welcome to Moments in Leadership. Hey, good morning. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. This is an honor. I really appreciate you taking your time. I know that the Marines officer enlisted are just going to really enjoy this, this episode. And I normally start out by asking a question, you know, who is Troy Black? Where did he come from? I'm going to get to that in a second. I've read your bio previously. But I just, I have this burning question I want to ask you real quick off the cuff. What was it like when you found out you were going to be the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps? Was, was it a surprise? Because I, I i don't think, I think everybody looks at this as, how does that happen? Is there some, you know, does the smoke come out of the chimney like for the Pope? Or can you just shed a little bit of light on what it was like to, I'm assuming there's a process in an interview, but just tell, tell the
1: audience what that's like. Yeah. For, first of all, so as you can imagine, you know, three years into the job, I've been asked that question a lot, right? Mm-hmm. here's the first thing I can tell you. You have to first be able to do math. So if you can't do multiples of four, right, it's because it's a four-year tour. And I joke about that because everybody's like, oh, well, I want to be the sergeant major of the Marine Corps. Yeah, can you do math by fours? Because if you're retired by then, you're not really going to be in the pool, right? So that's, that's the first thing. Second thing is every single day, and my wife, who's a retired Marine, and, we'll, and we probably will get into that somewhat here in a little bit. So my wife's a retired first sergeant, so she and I grew up in the Marine Corps. Not, not our whole careers together, but, oh, about the last 13, 14 years of her career and beyond, we grew up with oh, the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. That's Sergeant Major in the Marine Corps. And when you kind of get notified that you're going to be the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, the first thing the two of us did went, we said to each other, we looked at each other, and we said, holy shit, Right? <laughs> who's that guy? You know what I mean? So, right. So, so now you're kind of like you're, like, you're like that guy now, really. And so it's, it's overwhelming. I don't lie when I tell you every single day I, I, I get up, and it's not an exaggeration. Every single day I get up and I, and I put my uniform on and I look at the chevrons either on the collar or on, on the sleeve, and I think, holy smokes, I'm the sergeant major of the United States Marine Corps, and it's probably the same feeling I got the moment that you know I got told that out of this pool of uber-competent individuals who, who get screened and, and nominated and Boarded and provided to the commandant to make decisions on. I had the same feeling I did probably the, the second that I got I, I got this this job. So it's overwhelmingly, you know, we have a question about being humble here in a minute. Humble, blessed every day.
0: That's that's fantastic. If you if you watch Netflix, you know what I'm talking about. But you'll get that option where it says start from the beginning. I, I want to hit that button and just find out. Yeah. Who was who was Private Troy Black? Where did he come from? Why did he join the Marine Corps?
1: What was he like, 18 years old? Uh, <laughs> let me go back just a little bit more because it really talks about why why the Marine Corps. So when I was uh, about eight years old, uh, a friend of the family's son graduated from Navy boot camp. So we went we went up to to Great Lakes, went to the graduation, and there was. Uh, an individual there who was doing a lot of yelling and screaming had a funny, like, green hat on. And I told my mom and dad, hey, I want to do that, you know, like nine years old. Fast forward a number of years, what I found out was is that was a drill instructor. I have no clue what they were doing there when I was eight years old and what the, you know, how the Marine Corps operated then. But my parents were like, hell no, you're not going to be a Marine. You know, they're, they're, they're teenagers and, and, and relics of the Vietnam era, right? So Marine Corps, eat snakes, you know, kill babies. Crazy, they're jarheads, you know, you take everything out, you pour stuff in. Uh, you're not doing that. So I went to high school right after my mom and dad separated and got divorced. I lived with my grandparents in high school. And at my high school, they had this thing called study hall, which I think maybe some schools still have. So sixth period of my freshman year, I got like hair, you know, it's kind of hanging down to my shoulders because, you know, I probably to the 70s and early 80s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my, my parents were not quite hippies, but they also weren't quite, you know, but, well, they were hippies. And I tell my mom that all the time, and she, she laughs because she knows. But at the end of the day, I'm sitting in sixth period uh, in high school, and this guy comes in, dressed kind of like I am right now in Charlie's. And I'll never forget, uh, and I quote it constantly. Uh, he walks in and says, how many idiots want to do something with your life? Well, I'm not sure you can do that in high school nowadays, right? Yeah, I don't think so. But, yeah, I don't think so. And so I'm, like, looking around, like, let me put their hands up. I'm like, well, one, I'm not an idiot. I don't know who you are, but I don't want to be an idiot. So I raise my hand up. Next thing you know, I'm in Marine Corps Junior Reserve Officer Training Corps uh, at my high school. Okay. And fell in love with the Marine Corps. I also played high school football, so I had, I had a bit of a competition with my activities on the football field and my my, my activities in ROTC. But really, really, I, I started being a Marine as a freshman in high school. Flash, flash, mentors. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, that gentleman passed away two years ago and probably— is one of the, the the leading mentors that I've had in my in my entire uh, life, just fascinating. So I get done with that, and I happened to also go to, to go to college. I graduated in nineteen eighty seven from high school. Right. Uh, nonetheless, went to college for a year to study Russian. I joined the reserves originally to to help pay for college, so I could finish that up. And I had I had desires to go into an officer program, and I ended up going on active duty. And pretty much here we are today. Private Black was a handful. Yeah. <laughs> And we're going to sit there because there's some life experiences in the rest of the conversation that uh, that I'll offer well, up to recruit training.
0: I definitely want to hear more about Private Black because one of the more fascinating conversations I've had on this podcast was with Sergeant Major Dan Reynolds. And, and I asked him the same question, and he started off by saying, geez, when I went in the Marine Corps, the first thing I wanted to do was just get in trouble and get discharged and get out. And how he was saved by some NCOs and shown the light and – ended up going on to be get, pick up a meritorious corporal promotion. And I found that to be fascinating. And, and uh, you've got some time on the drill field and, and are intimately familiar with the transformation process, and I want to talk about that. But what was Private Black like? Was he a future sergeant major of the Marine Corps when he was Private Black?
1: <laughs> no. I'll share a bit of a story. And again, being candid. So when I was in recruit training, it, it was very valuable that I had been ROTC. I already knew how to shoot. I already knew how to drill. Mm-hmm. I became the platoon guide. My dad was killed when I was in recruit training. And after that, my reaction was probably not the, not the best. I might have gotten into a couple of fights with other recruits. I got fired as a result as being the platoon guide. I, I was not at a loss for what to do in the Marine Corps because I, I had decided, after I found out that my dad had been killed, I could have gone home and, and gone to the funeral. And the, the deal I was given then is, yeah, you can go home, but you're going to start recruit training over again. So I thought about that as a recruit. We called them third battalion privates then. The rest of the depot was, were recruits, Paris Island. But at the end of the day, I decided to stay in recruit training. Had a rough go of it after that. I was a little bit, maybe a little violent, maybe trying to get over and lost my dad, who was my, my, just my closest friend. So, recruit training, although fun exciting, I, I excelled in recruit training. Uh, some people say it wasn't a challenge, it was absolutely a physical challenge. But the knowledge and the drill and all the other stressors there, not so much because I had experienced all that already. And then I got to ITB. Infantry training battalion to be a machine gunner. And it was there that NCOs really started having influence, you know, on, on me, staff NCOs. And I got to tell you, for just as a general public service announcement, it's those, it's the junior leaders that affect the most junior Marines that have the the largest impact. Not not the command at the early and early age, commanders, senior staff NCOs. Now, you, you never get to see your battalion commander when you're like a last corporal. They got important things to do. It's the corporal, the sergeant. It may even be the lieutenant in some cases or the staff sergeant at that platoon level, but outside that, usually not so much. That that's probably why I'm here today is those, those experiences from ITB and beyond. And this, so that was your first exposure to NCOs outside of, of recruit
0: training. Yeah. And so and they're not part of recruit training. That's a billet for an NCO. What right. were some of the what were some of your early memories of those good NCOs? And and, and quite frankly, the other side of that question is, d- did you experience some bad NCO leadership there that imprinted on you? Oh, sort absolutely. Of a moment in leadership there, if you could tell us about
1: that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll move past ITB because it's kind of still of a training environment, right? I mean, you get, you get the best, well, you get top of the top, of the, top leadership there because they're going to teach you, you know, your, your MOS skills. But my first duty assignment was aboard the USS Forrestal. I was on C duty. And in fact, I, actually, let me back up a little bit. When I left ITB, this new school started called uh, Marine Corps Security Forces Training School. So we, it's very well established now, it's 30, 30 plus years old, but I was in the very first class of that. And what that did was it taught some rudimentary skills that we now see very prevalent in the Marine Corps, but some of the leadership there wasn't really that good. right? And then I left there and went to sea duty aboard the USS Forrestal. This is where I got to see, as a young Marine, what a good NCO and not-so-good NCO uh, look like. Two examples. I had a corporal by the name of Corporal Smith, Laverne Smith. He, he was our corporal of the guard. And on, on that assignment, corporal of the guards like your fire team leader and sergeant of the guards like your platoon sergeant. So, so my corporal of the guard, Corporal Smith, was absolutely professional. He taught us, the young Marines, what it meant to be a Marine. He was an 0311. He was 311 uh, He was an infantryman. But his focus wasn't so much on making us better infantrymen as it was making us better Marines. There's a sergeant that was on, on sea duty in a different section. We had three sections on the ship. I won't say his name. He wasn't so good. Uh, not because he was a sergeant. I was young, Lance Corbin, didn't have a perception of it. But I'll never forget this guy. And so, so we used to all dip Copenhagen, right? And, and for those Marines listening, they'll know the difference between stateside Copenhagen and, like, you know, fumalga Hagen, right? The plastic right. can stuff. <laughs> sure. Right? So, anytime someone would get a, a shipment in, in the mail of stateside Copenhagen, which back in the day, snail mail to get to a ship took a long time. But as soon as you got a can of stateside, here came the sergeant wanting to bum a dip from you. Right. Next thing you know, four fingers later, you know, you got half a can of dip left. I mean, there's a small lesson in there. It's kind of yeah. like, it's like, it's like the scene in uh, Band of Brothers, where you know, like the lieutenant is freaking gambling and playing darts and stuff with the, with, with, with the soldiers. Right. You know, and Captain Winters, Lieutenant Winters comes out and says, never take anything from your, from your soldiers, right? Right. That, that taught me a lesson. Be a giver, not a taker. Uh, and that's probably one of my biggest lessons learned at a very young age in the Marine Corps.
0: I love those kind of stories because everybody can relate to them. Not everybody gets to hear a story like that, but everybody can relate to that. I, I wasn't a dipper, but I can relate to that because I saw it in the field all the time, and I knew the difference yeah. between those two dips
1: as well. Can you never bummed if i when we got the ship store. Just of course, make, of course just not. Out, right. right. Yeah. So your first tour was, was aboard
0: ship. That, that must have been an interesting adjustment as a young man. I because I find leadership at sea to be a lot different than garrison leadership or training leadership. Yeah, agreed. And and your your exposure to the corporal of the guard and the sergeant of the guard. I'm assuming that you had a probably a lieutenant and captain XO CO combination for the guard force. So was there a platoon sergeant also for
1: that? So unique. And, and just about by way of like understanding the times, right. at the time, every aircraft carrier had a marine detachment on it. Right. Right. Uh, I think we had three battleships still in service then, mm-hmm. uh, Iowa, Missouri, and the New Jersey. Maybe just two of them, yeah, right. New Jersey. Mm-hmm. They had marine detachments, so very common in the Marine Corps, not not like today where we don't you know have those anymore. So it was, it was very very common in the Marine Corps. The structure there, we had a guard chief uh, who was a gunnery sergeant. Uh, we had a first sergeant, and like you mentioned, an XO and a CO, a lieutenant, and, and a captain, and about. I'm trying to think, about 35 or 40 Marines that were inside that detachment. Yeah. What do, what do you
0: remember about your first platoon sergeant, either good or bad? What were some of the early experiences that you had with them that imprinted on you as a young man?
1: Hmm. Um, wow, that's, that's interesting. Let me fast forward because the, the sure. whole unique experience in, on, on sea duty and a Marine detachment, a little bit different. So Desert Storm kicked off. We had come off our deployment. And everyone wants to get to the fight, right? So I put in an AA form as a as young Lance Corporal, and actually, it got approved. Next unit leaving, right? So we left, I left sea duty about four months early, headed out to Camp Pendleton, the 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines, and literally about nine of us showed up uh, on the pier and watched the 5th Marine Expeditionary Brigade float away, heading off the Desert Storm, the units we were all assigned to. So we spent about six weeks back at Camp Pendleton doing things that we thought were going to be needed. We were building pallets. We were getting formed into casualty replacement companies because mm-hmm. uh, I thought at the time was going to be pretty, pretty brutal, and we did a lot of training. And I won't say my first platoon sergeant there was my first experience. I can't remember his name, but when I linked up with 3-5, they were doing rehearsals in Oman. Okay. Uh, it was better now known as a, a feint, or rehearsing for a, a big feint that 5th Meb did. But at the end of the day, I check in as the— as the sea bitch. I used to call people come off sea duty, right? Barracks, right. barracks bitches for coming off barracks duty and sea bitch if you came off, you know, sea duty, right? Right. Who wasn't supposed to know anything? And my first platoon sergeant played along a little bit, but he was quick to tell the Marines, these guys have been together, you know, for quite some time now. About six weeks, we saw them go go off. And they had come off of a deployment, uh, a UDP to Okinawa about two months before they had to then turn back around again and head off the Desert Storm. So this was a pretty tight, pretty tight platoon. And I was a machine gunner, so the machine gun section in and of itself was, was even tighter. And I'm the new guy showing up, still a Lance Corporal, by the way, reasons we passed by with my uh, transition into the Marine Corps. <laughs> I wasn't the best Lance Corporal on duty either, right? Okay. But I get there, and of course, the Marines give me a, a ration of shit, and a platoon sergeant says, hey, okay, that's pretty funny. That's enough. That was it. So, so I learned a lesson, right? There is value and being accepted into a unit, right? That right. well-established unit, it's gonna accept you no matter what. But you might take a couple of knocks along the way. Right. I wasn't part of the group. I had I didn't have to earn my way into the group, but they had to, they had to they had to make sure that they were the group I was joining, not 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 I was the person. I I'm here to join your group. That's a that's a life lesson, a little bit. Right. And then that platoon sergeant stepped in and says, Okay, hey guys, you've given your piece. The last call black, you are now Team leader, a machine gun team leader, I showed up day one, and I'm a team leader of a machine gun team, immediately like that. Right. Wow. I mean, that's just, that's, that's, that's leadership, right? Yeah. And, re- and, and I asked him later, I got promoted to corporal on, on the, at deployment, and we'll get to that. I said, why'd you do that? He goes, he goes, you've got more time in the Marine Corps than most of the Marines in this machine gun session. I know what Marines do on sea duty. I was on sea duty. And you've, you, you've, you have fired the M680 Echo 3 machine gun in many different varying ways, know how to employ it in different ways than any Marine in the, in, the, in the session does. So you're prepared to be a team leader. And then we went off to combat. Right. That was amazing to me.
0: That's, so did you, when you went over to Desert Shield, Desert Storm, did you fly in or did you marry up on ship and go in?
1: <laughs> Very gratuitous. We left uh, Camp Pendleton on C-130s, flew forever, ended up in Madrid, Spain, got on back on the C-130s, flew into Bahrain when Bahrain was getting scudded. And it wasn't, of course, Bahrain now is like this massive, you know, Fifth Fleet, and there's all these buildings and stuff like that. It was nothing. It was barbed wire and engineer stakes. And we were out, we stayed about two weeks there and actually went out and did guard uh, around the uh, auxiliary support unit, I think it was called, the ASU, where, you know, all the communications inside of the CENTCOM, much like it is now, but we did guard duty and got scudded and mop level four and waiting for, you know, gas attacks. And then eventually linked up with another aircraft that flew us to Abu Dhabi, which was nothing. And Abu Dhabi, we got on a, a couple of LCUs and floated out to the 5th MEB as they were heading off the head down to Oman to do some training exercises.
0: Okay. So you stayed on ship then. You were part of the 5th MEB that did the feint. Yeah. What was it? The
1: USS Princeton.
0: Somebody, somebody got hit by a mine over there. Maybe they the guang. Iwo Jima hit a mine. Iwo Jima, right? Yeah, she hit mm-hmm. a mine.
1: I was on an LST, which we don't have anymore. So imagine this: I came from an aircraft carrier, five thousand people, world's right. first super carrier, the USS Forrestal, into a ship that fit like in half of us of a of a hangar bay of an aircraft carrier. So I was in culture shock. These guys all loved it. Yeah, you know, we're in freaking LST. It's really great, great ship. They had been on ship before. I came off an aircraft carrier to a tin can. I was in culture shock, like culture shock.
0: Right. It took like four,
1: I, four I, seconds to walk, walk four and a half on this thing. And I was telling like 10 minutes to walk four and a half on an aircraft carrier. Right. It,
0: it, it's, good, it's good to talk to somebody who who's, has some of the initial experiences. I, I came in in 1990 and I graduated from high school in 86. So I'm a, we're around the same age. But what young Marines don't understand these days is, uh, are a couple things. One of them, what it's like to be on an LST, which is a flat bottom ship. Yeah. People just don't understand how miserable that experience can be on an LST and we we don't have them anymore. So it's kind of fun to joke around about them. The other fun joke to make with people our age too is what it was like to try to remember everybody's name before we had name tapes on our uniforms. Um, Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They they say, no, you're Marines. I can, I can still rattle off everybody from my first platoon because I had to memorize everybody's name by face. It was was pretty interesting. But so kind of going back to the, you made the comment about you. You were a senior Lance Corporal. I'll just use my air quotes for those of you who are listening. But oh, I was exactly
1: the definition of the fleet version of a senior Lance Corporal.
0: Right. So, so you, can, you can kind of relate to, or you can't kind of relate, you can absolutely relate to, to listeners who are senior Lance Corporals right now and, and know what it's like to be in that position. But you alluded to some, and you know, maybe you got in a couple scrapes with commands. I find those stories and the lessons that get learned out of that really valuable because every single one of my guests on has had some sort of story about how they got in trouble or something happened. And I find it fascinating to hear that story from the context of the very first time you did something wrong or something that you did wrong early on in your career. How was it handled by your command? And by your command, I'm including whether it was the NCOs, your officers, or any NJP level um, authority. Was that experience something that imprinted on you and is carried into your time now as Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps?
1: Yeah, I thought, I mean, that's one of the questions that you had, you know, written that you were going to ask. And so I thought about it. Look, I think, and again, this is only my experience. Mm-hmm. Before the document sustained the transformation was written, I had been a Marine for quite some time, and understanding what the importance of understanding that transformation. Right, so you graduate recruit training, you're all like, "Yes, sir. No, sir. I, sir." Right, that, that discipline thing. But you're still inside. You're you're kind of a little bit still who you are. Every new Marine goes one or two directions immediately. They stay in super oohah geek status, which is what you know average. Fleet Marine might call someone who still walks around with their go fasters on and laundry numbers on them until, like you know, they're, like they this the first time, right? Right. The the belt fed Marine. Right? Yeah, that guy, right? You, you actually do use your web belt on liberty. That, okay. Right. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not many of us, by the way. <laughs> Definitely was not me. But I think good leaders understand that that transformation. The document wasn't written in order to tell by what to do. The document was written to explain what we do, as leaders, right? And a good corporal and a sergeant who just left that. Three, four, maybe five years ago, you know, being that being that Marine, understand that better. A platoon commander probably understands it too. You walk around TBS; all the college is not out of you know lieutenants, right?
2: Right. They're Absolutely. still in the transformation
1: process mm-hmm. too. But a good corporal and a sergeant have been in the fleet for a while, they know. Okay, I got to deal with this devil dog, and here comes here comes another one, right? And they help they sh- they help shape you. I think, and, and and I wrote this several times as I was wa- thinking about these questions. I am not here, you have a humble thing on here too, but the reality of it is I'm not where I'm at today because the leader right above me throughout my career didn't see potential, right? Didn't look past all my shortcomings. They mentored me to get better at my shortcomings, but understood my potential. And I was a handful as a young Marine. I would tell a sergeant to F off in a heartbeat. But but when they gave me a task, that shit got done. So there's a good to it, right? And the normal dirtbag Marine, if, you know, for the few that exist out there, they don't, they don't tell a sergeant to F off and then go do their job really well. I just didn't think the sergeant had the right idea how to do it, right? <laughs> right. I did it my way. None of those sergeants, there's two of them in particular. And I, won't, I won't mention their names because they're clo- they're, I'm close to them now. Another one of them put a charge sheet in on me. Did put a charge sheet they in did, on not. did not. did not, Okay. I don't know why. And I've asked them. They say, well, if I had, would it have changed anything you said or did And I said, no. And they said, okay, so it was waste time. You might not be where you're at today in the Marine Corps if we you know, canned you in the beginning because you had potential. Nothing I think I did intentionally. It's just they, they saw potential. And I could tell that story probably at every pay grade where I step outside my box and someone kind of shakes their finger and goes, okay, you know that was wrong. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing you're doing something else right because <laughs> that would have got you. Right, right. It, somebody on
0: a previous podcast said said, and I, I wish I could remember who it was, but and it may have been Sergeant Major Reynolds who said, and actually it may have been uh, Lieutenant General Furness too said something along the same lines. I'm going to paraphrase both of them, which is nobody joins the Marine Corps to become a shitbag. Everybody, everybody comes out of recruit training. Nobody comes out of recruit training and say like, okay, now I'm going to go be a shitbag. They become a shipbag because of something. Right. Sometimes those things are, like you said, external forces like your dad can cause some behavior.
2: Yep.
0: And then sometimes it's just experience in the Marine Corps. And I'm skipping ahead a little bit because you were on the drill field, I I think two different times, if I remember correctly from your bio. I, I think yeah, you, once you were I on the drill field and then went back again, right? Just for all the listeners, first time I volunteered, second time I was voluntold. Okay. <laughs> Probably right. Once you once you get into that track. So you, you've seen the transformation. Any any thoughts on what are some of the catalysts or what is the genesis mm. of the, the, the entry into the shitbag pipeline? Where does that, where does that, is there a...
1: Anecdotally, I gave you an example of a good NCO and a bad NCO, right? right? I chose to follow the good one. That, that's who I decided to emulate. Amazingly, early 90s, we rewrote the NCO promotion warrant uh, for various reasons, but there's a, there's a line in it that says, your con- as an NCO, your conduct is to be emulated uh, by others, right? If I wanted to emulate the conduct of the other NCO, right, who I consider probably be a bad influence, not just because of the Copenhagen, right? But there were other things that 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 were part of that character, right? Mm-hmm. If I chose to emulate that, okay, then that's that's probably who I desire to be like, right? Right. I chose either by will or by force from 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 Corporal Smith that that I'm gonna I'm gonna emulate that. This is before that promotion work was ever written, by the way. Okay. So that's, that's who I looked at as, wow, well. that's, that's, that's who I aspire to be. And probably important to note, this is the 1980s, and uh, that corporal, to, to dispel myths about leadership, leadership doesn't come with a color, a race, a creed, or anything else. Corporal Smith is African-American. He's from ba- downtown Baltimore, and I'm from the outskirts of Louisville, Kentucky. He's a leader. I desire right. to emulate him, and that's not— I got to be careful how we say that kind of stuff nowadays because it may seem to I'm going to a point. But at the end of the day, all he was was a corporal of Marines to me. That's all that mattered. Right. Right. I desired to emulate his conduct. Same thing about going uh, post recruit training. ITB is an experience. MCT is an experience as a young, impressionable Marine. Right. These people that are put in front of you or you suspect are what you're supposed to be like. Right. So you emulate their behaviors. Outside of, okay, I know right and wrong. If I choose to follow a less, lesser character of individual, right, then I'm right. going to probably be more like that individual. And after I, after I get through that experience, and I'll meet a different leader. And then I get into the debate, right? Now I'm in the fleet, okay? I had a good drill instructor. Everyone wants to emulate the crazy drill instructor, right? Okay, it's a behavior, okay? You learn, mm-hmm. you learn to emulate that person. And you get to ITB or MCT, you know, those, 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 those troop handlers, those leaders that are there. They teach a behavior. Then you get to the fleet, you see a different behavior. You collect all these things. And over time, you learn good things from bad leaders. You learn bad things from good leaders. But overall, you begin to develop your own leadership style based upon all those experiences. So your question was, what kind of goes wrong? What turns a man into a shitbag? I think it is once you get into a certain you know, behavior, you start emulating a certain behavior, you're probably going to find that's your comfort zone. And if someone doesn't take you out of it, like like I've been dragged out of bad behaviors my right. entire career by someone else uh, when I couldn't see it, if you don't experience that person, they can pull you out and you, and, you, and then you accept it, you, you might end up being in the wrong place. Right. So the episode hasn't
0: dropped yet. By the time somebody listens to this episode, it will be out. But a little preview to the movie, my episode with General Furness a couple of weeks ago, I asked him a question about his. Issuance of his basic daily routine. He was the Second Marine Division commander, and and I asked him a question. It sounded something like this: It was, "Why did you have to write that letter down to the lowest level instead of just pulling your regimental commanders in and say you've got 30 days to fix this or I'm fucking firing people? Why did you choose that?" His answer to that was fascinating to me because it it came back to officers, and this is I'm getting somewhere with this on the NCO side, officers don't have a formal education in how to lead other officers, right? We go to TBS and we we lead other officers, but we're not taught how to do that. And then you're a company commander and nowhere in that realm have you had any sort of education like, okay, you've been taught how to lead Marines. But you haven't really been taught how to lead officers. Now you're a company commander and you have lieutenants and you got to figure it out. And that was really interesting because what I just heard you say about the emulation and the people pulling you out of that thing, I actually think one of the strengths of the NCO Corps and on the illicit side of the house is you are constantly being taught how to lead other NCOs and other Marines because it's happening at such a micro level, like senior Lance, corporal sergeant, that, that experience on how to lead your subordinates on the enlisted side is an everyday opportunity and everyday training set and hearing you say that just reinforces my thought on that that I think that is a huge strength of the NCO corps and so if I can kind of deviate for a second and ask you questions what can you say to junior leaders corporals and sergeants right now to keep encouraging them to develop that leadership skill of leading your subordinates and pulling people up to emulate them and I know you wrote the recent memo on character I want to get to that later down the line but that may, that may tie into it now
1: mm-hmm. so we always talk about you you should Strive to be the next leadership position. Think two levels up, but if you're a Lance Corporal, how do you become a team leader? How do you become a Corporal? Mm-hmm. Right? In recruit training, we do a little bit at OCS, but at a different level, because I've, I've, I've worked there for a little bit as a first sergeant, sergeant major. We have small unit leader development in recruit training. There's a guide, there are squad leaders, and there are team leaders. And Marines are, or recruits are required to go through those billets, right? Mm-hmm. And there's an evaluation done on them how well they did. So you're always trying to teach leadership. We do the same thing for officers, but we do it differently. In your experience, right. uh, did you go to the academy or did you go through OCS? Pipeline? I was, I was uh, ROTC out of, a, out of a state school. Okay. ROTC. In officer development, duck this exempla, set the example. How do you do that? and How do you, how you, how you enforce others to do that? Different environment, right? Mm-hmm. And we can talk about that later. Fast forward, a corporal and sergeant is supposed to try to be a staff sergeant. Right. right? I, my job is now... And so I get a chance to talk at TBS to all the lieutenants. I didn't I didn't know that's a, a role that the Sergeant Major the Marine Corps had. And I and I and I, I give them examples, not of what NCOs are supposed to do. I give them examples of how a staff NCO is supposed to be. Because that's in the traditional structure of the Marine Corps. They're there to become at TBS basically basic rifle platoon commanders. Therefore, their experience is going to be operating with a basic infantry platoon sergeant or basic rifle platoon sergeant, right? Right. What's a staff NCO's responsibility? Well, on the left hand, you get all these NCOs and a bunch of Lance Corps and PFCs. Right. And on the right side, you got this brand new lieutenant. No experience, very academically capable, Mm -hmm. more so than the staff sergeant is academically, because that's how we develop the officer. Right. And I I, I give them two examples. And then I'll I'll really cut to the chase. What's the real difference between an officer and an enlisted? And I I point to their promotion warrants. Okay, Officers, they're unto belonging. You have instant authority as an officer. Instant. It's, It's the minimum expectation of an officer that's how we that's why we train the officers different right initially you are responsible they're unto belonging that's authority title 10. enlisted promotion warrants say they're into pertaining okay so so there's a change of responsibility here discipline good order training those are pertaining those are automatically those pertain to how we develop enlisted leaders as, as a platoon sergeant, my job is to ensure that the squad leaders are well-trained squad leaders who will therefore mm-hmm. well-train their team leaders and below. Oh, and by the way, I'm also responsible as a staff non-commissioned officer in my creed to strive constantly for perfection, knowing no mortal has ever achieved it. Says it right there in the staff NCO creed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We just rewrote the staff NCO promotion warrant, by the way, to bring that out a little bit more on the responsibilities of that staff NCO. So to your question. It is absolutely part of the enlisted development process that those things are intrinsic to leadership. We do an officer side of, as well, but we practice those things as an officer, as you well know, through, right? And the commandant talks to TBS too, and he says, lead through your subordinates. Whether that's officer or enlisted, at the platoon level, where, where most of this conversation really is has had, the officer leads through who? The staff sergeant. The staff sergeant, NCO, Right. The NCOs. And really through the those really high performing, great, you know, young leaders, they're they're there as well. When you become a company commander, sometimes as officers, we don't get the lead through your subordinates reinforced outside right. of a speech from a commandant. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you lead through yourself, because that's how we teach at OCS. You're responsible for yourself at OCS. Right. There's the there's the crucible for for officers, is now you're responsible for you. You learn in TBS, however, to you know, lead, right? We are taught that day one. One is no better than the other. But as an officer, you have a lot more responsibilities that belong to you, belonging, than I do. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you, you give me the responsibility to ensure those discipline, good order, junior leader development. That's, I get trained and educated to do that. You do as well, but you get to try to lead and think and develop concepts, which is what we need. That balance is why the Marine Corps has been so successful and continues to be, I think. I agree with you. That point was was hammered
0: home in in my conversation with Sergeant Major Reynolds. And we talked about that. And his point was that TBS does this fantastic, it creates a fantastic product. TBS create and so does IOC, creates a fantastic product. And then it gets out to the fleet and it has to now assimilate into a unit culture, like you were saying when you joined 3-5, and it has to join up with other seasoned Marines. And for the very first time, they, they are exposed to this and they, they, don't, they don't have any experience to draw on. And you said before that you talked to lieutenants at TBS, and, and I always like to say that every single question that you get at TBS from a lieutenant who stands up and asks you something, no matter how the question is worded, they're, they're all asking this, can you tell me something that will keep me from going out into the fleet as a new second lieutenant and f***ing up? All right.
1: That's what they're asked.
0: Every single question is grounded in that.
1: It took me a so couple of times to figure that out, by the way. I, <laughs> right, I, yes. I got, got asked that question, I got to ask that question like, mm-hmm. blatantly. I, I, I actually got asked it as a quote. How do I not f*** this up, Sergeant Major? Right. And I thought, man, if I was Staff Sergeant Black, I would ask that immediately. But now I'm Sergeant Major Marine Corps Black. How do I say that in a more professional manner, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't get that right the first couple of classes that I talked to there. But, but it's really the purpose of why you get that 8- to 10-year experienced Enlisted Marine. Yes. To partner exactly. with the man, Palm Fex was awesome. Let's go hike if you're a platoon commander. Okay, thanks, sir. Your Palm Fex was my eighth CAX or ITX or EMV or whatever it is. Thank you, sir. Yes, I took a poop there uh, right when you said you, you, you right. wanted to do a new attack on Range 400. Thank you very much. It's the experience, right? Not the authority, right? Belonging, pertaining. It's the experience that really now balances that out. And as you mentioned, how we developed that enlisted force. It's really so you can take that experience. I've been a, a sergeant major or a first sergeant since 2005. That's a lot of experience doing this job. If I had become a master sergeant as an infantryman, I would have been a master sergeant since 2005. I'll debate any commander I would have worked with along that continuum, two years in command, year of, to a joint assignment, go to education, you come back to command, You're like like two two years of command for every five years that I haven't left that command, right? So that experience, that's how we develop the enlisted force and the ability to command and issue and and apply authority, right, in the officer corps, that's what makes us such a strong warfighting organization. It really does. We rely on each other, right, enlisted and officer, and it's that team, that bond, I think, at the lowest level. At the platoon and section level, it's that cohesion, and it just continues throughout your service. Whatever path you choose is enlisted. And as you go on, you know, as an officer, either in command or as an officer in charge or a staff officer, you still have this contingent of experienced enlisted who run the show, right? right? While you develop, conceive, vision, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. So help me emphasize this point to people who are
0: listening, if you agree with it. Staff NCOs, I think, maybe, maybe they realize this and maybe I don't realize it, but the responsibility that they carry on their shoulders for the development of that lieutenant is very serious because, and so Sergeant Major, I'll ask you this question. How many of the lieutenants that you had when you were a platoon sergeant have gone on to, I'm assuming they'd be at a lieutenant colonel level maybe by now or, or even higher,
1: have um, any of them gone on to become a, a battalion yeah, they commander have. or higher? They have. Uh, several of them are colonels right now. Okay. Here, 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 so here's... But, I, so but so think talk. about
0: that. Just think about that for a second. Yeah.
1: I mean, you had a brand new second
0: lieutenant, future colonel. Your experience with him and what you taught him or her was probably so foundational to them that you created a legacy of it uh, inside the officer corps because of your relationship with him or her. That's
1: really. That's, that's a lot, lot of responsibility. That's a lot of credit. Thanks. Uh, I, also sh- I also showed them what not to do. Sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, here, here's how I, I, so I get a chance, obviously, and, and as, a, you know, not because I'm the Sergeant major of the Marine Corps, you're always talking to a group of Marines and it's always about leadership. Here's a fact, and I tell this to TBS, it'll be relevant here. You can always tell a senior officer whose first staff NCO was good or bad. I agree with that hundred percent. Because their perception of enlisted is based upon that first experience. And it's not wrong of the officer, because what they saw as right is their first experience. So they got told, hey, you're going to check into the fleet. You know, staff's under the gunny. They're the bomb. Do what they do. Go to them for questions. And if and if and if we don't, if we as a as staff NCO, or it could be an NCO for that matter, but but it's staff NCO traditionally, if we get that wrong, they know you're fighting to get back on the right path, Right. Right, not good. It's the same for enlisted. If you if you have a shitty corporal, you check in. You're a lance corporal, okay, or a shitty staff sergeant. Why do I want to be that? Right. Set the set, set, this exemplar isn't just an officer thing, frankly. Set the example as a leadership principle for a reason. For for everybody, it's irrelevant everybody. of the
0: rank, the rank or the tenure. But yeah. can can you share some stories about some of your early on experiences as a platoon sergeant with some lieutenants in the context of helping a listener who's a staff NCO and is either getting a lieutenant for the first time or or new in the role. And also for the second lieutenant listener of here's some tips for how not to up. Here's how to develop a good relationship because we learn how to lead people, but I'm not so sure that we learn how to develop our personalities and relationship building very well in the, in the training pipelines.
1: You asked me to speak on officer, but I think it holds true for enlisted in many ways. I'll give you an example. So we get back from desert storm. July or August of 91. Yeah. And so all, by the way, two of those lieutenants in my company, one is still in the Marine Corps. He's a relatively senior general officer. We're we're, we're the the last standing three, five vets from Desert Storm. I'm I'm pretty sure they're still in uniform. No names, but at the end of the day, and I didn't work for him. I worked for him later on. But at the end of the day, my point, all the lieutenants left, all gone. So now right. you've got all the IOC graduates, right, that have been watching on TV, CNN, you know, the first tele- televised, you know, real-time war. Like, yeah, we're going to war. They show up, and guess what? Well, we're back. But in, in typical leader fashion, they want to test the metal of their unit so they can establish where we should start with training and all this kind of stuff. Well, now let's think about this. We're going to debate what kind of combat or relative combat Desert Storm was, but if you checked in to – you know, Third Battalion of 5th Marines in October, November of 1991 and wanted to test the metal of your platoon, who no one had PCS'd out of or EAS'd out of yet, to see if they were really war fighters. And when you decide was a good idea was to show up and go run 1st Sergeant's Ridge, you know, behind San Mateo. What everybody behind you is saying is, okay, this is stupid. Right? I, I did not run 1st Sergeant's Ridge in my combat experience. And, uh, hey, sir, by the way, when's the last time you got shot at? That's what everybody behind you is thinking. Now, right. the whether it's going, right or wrong, yeah, yep. the lieutenant's going. I've got a mission here. I've got to train these marines to get ready for the unknown. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're getting ready to build up to go on deployment next year. The company commander's giving me a brief. I've been briefed with the with the, with the battalion commander. We're, we're training marines in order to, to be marines. They're infantrymen, and I need to assess where we're at. Uh, so we're going to go on this run. Okay, Hoorah. We just came off and shit, man. Right? Uh, on an LST, it's like the size of your freaking driveway. There's no there's no running on a flight deck of an LST. Not that it's right or wrong. Both have a perspective, right? Right. Having said that, I think we see this in the Marine Corps today, unintentionally. A new commander shows up, you're there for two years, whether it's a, comp- a platoon commander or a company commander, or you go on to change, 24 months. Right. And at 24 months, we always think we're starting from zero and have to get to in 24 months. Sometimes we forget that where really, the unit is starting at like 95 sure. or 80, or maybe, maybe it's even 50, but it sure as hell isn't zero. That's very hard on the commander. It's very hard on the unit because both are trying to get to the same place, right? The unit's trying to figure out the new leader. What's your style? What's your philosophy? What is it you want us to get better at? The new leader is trying to go, okay, I need to assess and see where we're at. If I, if I, don't, if I don't like it, I'll start back at zero, you know? That is a challenge at all levels. So that to, the, to that new lieutenant, Talk to the platoon sergeant. Where are we at? What are we good at? What we are bad at? Because that platoon mm-hmm. sergeant is going to tell you, we suck at this. We're really good at that. What would you do with the unit if, uh, if you were in charge for a day? Well, sir, here's what I would do. I would do more of this. I would sustain that. Because that's, right. that's what the platoon sergeant or that sergeant or corporal who's in that billet, that's their job. And they understand the new lieutenant doesn't know that or the new captain or the new major or the colonel or whoever it is. That's, that's the resource you go to.
0: Right. Fascinating. Again, fascinating conversation I had with Sergeant Major Reynolds about that. He said the exact same thing and he used the exact same vignette as you did, which is the new second lieutenant who comes in and wants to run his, in his vignette, it was run six miles to the gate and back at Lejeune. And, and the only person left standing at the end is him and the platoon sergeant. And, and his vignette was, if the Lieutenant asks me, where are we with conditioning? And I tell him, Hey, I, I think we should take the platoon out on a, on a, 10-minute mile, three-mile run, and let's see who falls out and see where we are, and, and that you should be listening to those things when you come in and establish your relationship with the platoon sergeant, and just like you said, listen to them about where they are. And he said this. This was really interesting. He said, if a, if a new lieutenant wants to come in, he was talking about infantry platoon, new lieutenant really wants to come in and assess the, the, where they are in training, go to the armory, draw weapons, walk out in the backyard, and yell, contact, right? He's like, you want to you want to find out how good your platoon is, where they are. Just do that, and if and if you do that, you'll kind of know where they are. And you're not going to figure that out from a run, right? Um, yeah. Not, so, that the rank, so not
1: that the running isn't important.
0: No, no, I, absolutely, right? right. But I don't know if it's the first defining moment of your taking command, using my air quotes of a of a platoon. But so yeah. so so let's go back to your platoon sergeant and second lieutenant Dave Armstrong walks in the door. What are some of the things that you should be or a staff NCO should be saying to that new lieutenant to establish that relationship? And, and what are some, what's some advice that you have for that staff NCO? Here's a great way to establish a new relationship with a platoon commander that gets to that belonging and pertaining, understanding the responsibilities to make that relationship work really well. Because I truly believe that that staff NCO has an opportunity to create a 30-year legacy of leadership in the Marine Corps at that very moment.
1: Let me tell you what I didn't do well and probably didn't learn until probably I was a to first sergeant, frankly. Maybe I did it and didn't know it, but, but I got a chance to think about it later. First of all, uh, I was a platoon sergeant in Fast Company, having left Paris Island as a drill instructor. And I got there about the same time as my platoon commander did. So I found it. I found it he got there a little bit after I did, about, about a month. But I had a good turnover with the previous platoon sergeant. We didn't have a platoon commander. He was kind of the acting guy at the time. And the first thing that new platoon sergeant did was bring these uh, whole, like a little footlocker full of cards. And what these were is all the, you know, the platoon level evaluations of all the Marines, right? Mm. And it introduced me to who all the Marines in the platoon were. Before I ever had a chance to meet them, before we ever went on the, you know, let's go PT or let's go see them shoot, or, let's go do something with the Marines. I didn't even get around them for like two or three days. And we went through line by line each individual Marine. Now here's the thing. Staff NCO staff NCO. He can be like, okay, uh, at Corporal Black, freaking devil doll has got a a wife, two kids, raging alcoholic, best shooter on the freaking, you know, best shooter that we have. Mm -hmm. Can't lead a patrol to save his life, you know, just really down to earth. Now, if I was Lieutenant Black and that staff sergeant was briefing me, everything I say negative about the Marine could be perceived as I didn't do my job before you got here. Okay. Yeah, interesting point. So to the lieutenant, understand that. If you find failings in that sort of, you know, here's the platoon, those failings may or may not be the result of the poor leader who's giving you that, <laughs> that understanding, right? Right. People still make people decisions, right? I don't know a staff NCO who does not try to do this. They may not communicate it well, but every, every, whoever that senior enlisted leader or that unit is, right, knows the Marines better than you do day one. They want the platoon to be better, they want to be better. They are also products of the last leader that was in charge of them. Mm -hmm. The platoon's problems may not be who's standing in front of you. It may be your predecessor. Right. You have to figure that out as well, right? And if you find out that it's the platoon sergeant, fix the platoon sergeant. This is what they're unto belonging. You are now responsible for the success or failure of your unit the day you get there. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard to start to assess that, right? We do a little training at TBS. Those peer evaluations, they, right. they seem like it's about you and the lieutenant next to you. It's not. It's about how you can assess someone when you meet them, right? Because you have to be able to do that as a, as a lieutenant. You have to assess me, and you have to assess the unit, and you have to build a team with me. It's more my job, the enlisted, to build a team with you because you have a new philosophy. You've got a new perspective. There's new things you want to try, right? And we can talk about that in a moment. Why I say all that is I didn't learn, I didn't learn what that meant until I was a first sergeant. And I'll tell you how I learned it as a first sergeant. I'm in 2-1. I'm a company gunner sergeant. Uh, the S3 Alpha uh, got promoted to captain. We were getting, going to go on another deployment right after that, back to Iraq. Actually, we were going to go on a Mew. And he was a 3 Alpha, and he says, hey, you get promoted to first sergeant next year? I said, I think I am sir. He says, you want to be my, to be my first sergeant? I said, heck yeah, sir. Only reason why is because he's a Denver Broncos fan, right? And so is my wife, and he knew that. I'm like, that has nothing to do with Troy Black? So we didn't talk about it again. When I got, when we got back, I got promoted. I went to the company. He was gone to train. We were, getting, we were going to Muse. So we, he was down on the river, riverfront or waterfront doing R2P2 training. And when he came back, we had no conversation about anything going on in the company. He says, hey, what's your favorite movie? My favorite movie? I said, I don't know. Favorite movie. Favorite movie. He goes, well, mine's Star Wars Episode Four. You know which one that is? I'm like, Episode four. No. He goes, it's A New Hope. It's the very first movie. We were on a range. And I'm not sure to this day how the XO didn't get Marines from getting shot. We sat on a, on a berm for the entire range, laughing, joking. I agree with him. It is the best movie ever. The first Star Wars movie it is the best movie that ever existed, right? And we developed a relationship. And I had been with the company now for about six weeks while he was on leave and went to this training down for R2P2, uh, came back. And over the course of the next couple of days, we talked about the company. That relationship Building that relationship, you find out really quickly all of the doubts, fears, personalities. Just having a conversation, you're going to find out about my family. I'm going to find out about yours. Because that team, that team, going back to our original point, you know a senior commander whose first platoon sergeant wasn't that good based upon how they still interact with their enlisted Marines. They never built that relationship. I, didn't, I, didn't, I couldn't define that until I was a first sergeant, Right. Likewise, I th- I think I was taught to do that early on by the leaders that I that I, that I decided to emulate and just didn't know how to describe it. I failed at that a couple of times as, as a staff sergeant with a with a couple of the, the lieutenants. That
0: that first initial conversation, like you said, when you have a chance to sit down with somebody, it's it's not my podcast for me to talk about myself, but I, I will say this and we won't talk about it. But when I took command of a battery, I sat down and talked to the incoming first sergeant or who was going to be my first sergeant. And I asked him, I said, what, what's what's my first order of business when I take command here? And he looked at me. And goes, sir, you need to fire every single officer in this battery. I'll tell you about that story some other time. But that was that was what was said to me when I took command. That relationship, the honesty, and the first the first experience that you have with people can really set the tone for for a relationship. Whether it's platoon, serge, whether it's lieutenant, platoon sergeant, or company commander, first sergeant, um, like
1: you said, building those relationships is really important. Sir, really quick on that. And someone who says that, though, it could be perceived as that's an anti-officer enlisted Marine. Here's what I would offer to anybody that listens to this. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you're a corporal, sergeant, sergeant major. It doesn't matter. Master gunnery sergeant. It doesn't matter. Believe it or not, every single one of us have two jobs. One, first and foremost, we are absolutely dedicated to the success of the enlisted Marines in that unit. That's where we came from, right? And if they don't perform well, it is a direct reflection of us. That's probably 51% of my love affair is with the Marines in the organization. The other 49% is they're going to continue to get better or suck based upon how good the officer is that's leading them. So you can't have a uh, bad officer, good unit. You can't have good unit, bad officer. You can't have good officer, bad unit. And you, you can't, there's the combination there is, and that even goes, I would say, to where I sit today. I represent 186,000-ish reserve and active enlisted Marines. The Commandant represents all of us, but is one of you know, 25 or 30,000 officers active in reserve, right? Right. That's a huge amount of influence. It's never adversarial officer enlisted. I got a responsibility to develop officers, too. Hence, you're checking with the first sergeant, and the first thing the first sergeant says is get rid of all the officers. Because right. he doesn't like officers. What he's probably trying to tell you is, this unit's better because they're not.
0: That's exactly and, what and the saying, last by guy who
1: was here before you tried to try to fix that too and couldn't. Mm-hmm. Okay, it has nothing to do with he doesn't like officers or she it, doesn't like officers.
0: Right, and I should clarify that because I am going to keep this part in the in the episode. He was absolutely right, and it had nothing to do with not liking officers. It it had to do with officers had been around the command too long. It was a reserve unit, so they contend they contend homestead a little bit. Yeah. They had outgrown their billets. he He was absolutely right, and it had nothing to do with
1: an adversarial relationship. That's right. that's an important note because sometimes we get in the wrong spot because there's other commanders that'll check in. they'll tell you get rid of every staff NCO in right. the right. and c o unit right we and we can get adversarial as enlisted, hey who do you think you are? You've been here for four deployments, devil doll right you're part of the, you're part of the normalization of deviation from the standard here. You're great, you're tired. Go do something different
0: right. We touched on this earlier because you talked about the the humble moment. But I I know just from having friends who are senior officers and and doing this podcast that it's hard it's hard to get somebody to talk about themselves because we as Marines are generally pretty humble. We always think about we the Marine Corps rather than I myself. So I'm going to ask you to unlock your brain a little bit on that, and please feel comfortable. I would like for you to tell the listeners about the very first time that you were really proud of yourself as a leader, because I know there had to be a moment where you just looked mm-hmm. at yourself in the mirror and said, "Like, you know what that that was good." Can you tell us about
1: that? And, and you're right. We're taught as leaders to be humble, but there's demonstrating arrogance and confidence. Mm-hmm. I, I think what you'll find the most humble leader is exceptionally confident. Otherwise, they wouldn't. I get I get as many bad tweets and, and thumbs down Facebook likes and stuff as anybody else does, right? But I'm I'm satisfied in the fact that there aren't that many mistakes that can be made over 30, 34 years of people that influence somebody that, that if, if you get into a senior leader role, you can't be a complete F up, right? Right. Knowing all of my faults, I know them very intimately. Having said that, I think the Marine Corps, and I don't know the other services, cultures as well, but our culture drives us to a certain number of things that we can take for granted, take somewhat for granted, or just, or just ignore. The senior journal instructor speech. Strive constantly to be the best at everything that you do. It's in there. Every recruit hears this. They mm-hmm. have since 1956. Strive constantly to be the best at everything that you do. NCO promotion warrant. Your conduct is to be emulated. Staff NCO creed. Strive constantly for perfection knowing no mortal has ever achieved it. I have a lot of failures in my career. None of them is because I did not strive to be the best. It's not because what I was trying to do, I didn't want others to also emulate. And it isn't because I wasn't in a constant pursuit for perfection. And and every failure comes because that's the best that I could do. Or I'm a human and I probably just shouldn't have done that. right? But at the end of the day, I, I believe those things set us on a course. So to your question, I had the opportunity to be a platoon commander as a sergeant right after I got promoted to sergeant. In fact, when I was in 3-5, actually, I was still a corporal then, going to a CACS. And I was a weapons platoon commander. So not unlike today, the senior lieutenant is supposed to be the weapons platoon commander in an infantry company because mm-hmm. they have all that experience. Usually it's supposed to be a first lieutenant because when you're the weapons platoon commander, and you go to CACS. It's changed because you don't do CACS anymore. But you were the basically the fire support coordinator for the company. Well, for a corporal to sit in the back of a, a C-7 with his company commander and the company commander look over at a corporal and say, where's the company's fire plan sketch? Where's the IPB? What's the fire support plan? And not, ha- and not take it, rip it up and go, okay, that's, that's a bunch of crap. Right? Right. I, I'll, I'll never forget sitting in the back of that, of that Amtrak at the old CACs we're like Delta Corridor, right? We're doing the mechanized, you know, breach and all this kind of stuff, the Delta T. And I'm a corporal in the back of a of an Amtrak with like 19 radios attached to my my headband, you know, Prick 77's, 19 of them because only one of them worked, so you had to figure out which one I was at that point in time. Right. By the way, OP Crampton has always been there, just for those listening. For a reason. <laughs> it's right, uh, exactly. But 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 I got a sense that I knew what I was doing. Because my company commander trusted me. Now, I made a lot of mistakes, and in that environment, you can't make mistakes, or you know, people get, you, you, somebody get killed, right? It's in training. Right. Mm-hmm. And the fewer mistakes I made, the more responsibility they gave me. And pretty soon, I was the one briefing what the rest of the platoon commanders, what the fire, what, what the whole fire support plan was phase line x you know phase line b here's your first here's your fscl here's your finger fiba here's your on call targets. Any question about it, give me a call we'll figure work that thing out I'll call the desk for if it's air i'll call the i mean i'm a corporal in the marine corps
0: right yeah
1: that's pretty good
0: that's that that feels good too it who when you were at ocs was colonel then colonel mancini the co so colonel mancini pretty... came in
1: about a month after i got there yeah
0: okay so the very first time I was ever told that I did a shit hot job was by then Captain Mancini in the back of a C-7 when I was a second lieutenant. And, he, and you know that guy doesn't hand out compliments like that very well. So no. you and I shared that, that moment together.
1: The godfather. No, he does not. Yeah, right.
0: That's exactly what he was called. So funny.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, great, great shared story. The back of a C-7. I know we talked about some of the things early on in your career, but, but take it past the, the ranks of private and your senior Lance days. And as you look back, Is there anything that you look back and say, like, I'd really like a do-over on that that could be valuable for a young leader to be considering
1: in the context of a vignette? It's a two-pronged question. Do-over because I did it right or do-over because, man, that was right, it looks Mm. like? I'm going to give you the choice. We'll talk about a lot of my failings. Okay. I think the time that I spent as a battalion sergeant major in in 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines, which I was a simple piece of that puzzle— Take nothing away, and I want to make sure anybody that maybe hears this was any other great units that I had the opportunity to be in with those Marines. My time in 3-7 was, I think, and I say I was a small piece of that organization because all the pieces fit. They all fit. The battalion commander was the right battalion commander at the right time. The OPSO was the right operations officer. The company commanders were the right company commanders for that time. The staff NCOs were seasoned and experienced enough to lead those Marines. Great squad leaders. You mentioned about writing in here. And and why why I've thought about this is because I'm trying to finish writing a book on this unit. And I don't want to mince words about what unit's better than the other and and this sort of thing, but we don't like to talk about that in the Marine Corps anymore, Mm -hmm. right? That unit's awesome. We write a book about it. And everybody's like, well, our unit was good too. Listen, the title of this book and I'll, I'll let it out, but it's going to be 219 days. That's how many days we were in Afghanistan. And as a premise for this book, and I'll tell you why I think this was a good experience. The premise of this book is, I thought, man, we, we, those Marines did a lot. And with the exception of like the, maybe the first two weeks, RSO and I and moving around, there's almost either a combat action ribbon, a valorous award, a WIA, a WKIA, every single day of that deployment. Every day, someone somewhere in that unit was doing the right thing or dealing with the results of their decisions. That's the best battalion, not unit, because there's different things inside. That's the best battalion mm-hmm. I've I've ever been in. Why do I use that as an example of giving you know a career experience?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think the pinnacle of my my career, not because it was a great unit, the pinnacle of where I was the best at what I what I could offer to a unit was there. I, I don't think I've gone better than that, personally. Because it was the first time I understood what my place, what really was. I understood where I could influence and where I shouldn't. I was surrounded by leaders who were in some cases better than me that could help me in that. I'm talking about the first sergeants, the master guns, the, the staff NCOs, the officers. I really knew my role in my job. And I, th- I think, I think, and there's Marines in the unit that would tell you differently, but we meet as a group later, I knew my role better than any time I ever had before or probably really since when I was in that unit because the pieces fit right. We've all had that experience, right? What was yeah. that
0: role? I mean, I know it was a sergeant major, but drill down on that for me. What? Because we all know what the role of the sergeant major is, but something about that
1: was formative to you. So I think two things. One, my relationship with the commander. And again, okay. I'm a battalion sergeant major now. so I don't want to seem like I'm a, an officer guy, right? Mm-hmm. But my relationship with the battalion commander, uh, he just retired last year. And I, I won't say his name because he's very, he's an uber humble individual. We immediately clicked. Now, we also pushed each other. We almost killed each other on our, we, we, we both did a relief and appointment in command, change of command at the same time. And we decided we're going to hike out, you know, to, uh, uh, what's the tra- training area? Where you do the little rope bridges, you do the first rope climbing, uh, mountain climbing. Uh, you mean like Bridgeport? Yeah, at the Rock Face, at Bridgeport. Right. We decided we're going to hike together from lower base camp over to meet up with a company that's there training, right? Just the two of you. Well, what it was was a contest.
0: Okay. Right. Between you and the CEO.
1: Between me the and two the CO. Of you. Okay. Right, because <laughs> uh, right. you know, I'm, I'm far less a man than I used to be, but that previous company commander I talked about that, that really taught me you know, about developing a relationship, he mm-hmm. happened to have been one of this lieutenant colonel's IOC lieutenants when he was an IOC instructor. Oh, really? Okay. And I was his first sergeant, so he knew me very, very well. And apparently it was one of those cases of, okay, these two together are going to be fun to watch, right? About halfway there, we sat down to take a, a five-minute break, right, carrying our packs. know, it was the end of the summer, it was August, so it wasn't a winter package. And we shared a dip of Copenhagen. And somewhere in a conversation it came out, hey, you, why are you going so fast? because well, you're going so fast. Oh, well, well, I'm about to freaking die. I'm about to die too. <laughs> that was it. That was it. So our relationship was great. So that was one, the relationship with, with the CEO. I clicked with him. I still clicked with him. It was the perfect combination of brawn and brain, determination, re, you know, uh, resistance. It, it just worked. It worked exceptionally well. And then it's the unit. I think the two of us coming into this unit, we, we were the additions to the unit. And the unit 3-7 had gone to nowhere but Iraq prior to that. So Iraq, 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 Iraq. Great unit. That's Jason Dunham's unit, right? Uh, the gunner there had been on four of the, you know, five deployments to Iraq. It just fin- it started out as a platoon sergeant. It was a, it was a very experienced battalion. But they'd only been to one place. And with me and the CO coming in, and being able to be able to direct the unit from, hey, okay, I got it. You just got a Ramadi. It's Ramadi 2009, guys. It wasn't Ramadi 2004. Still combat. You know, one small arms fire incident recorded in the, in the log doesn't, and it's different, right? It's not, you know, it's not back in the day. And being able to take the unit and transition it to go work someplace different, that, that's not easy to do. And I think we did it well, and the unit was greatly successful. Not because of the two of us. My piece in that was I came from OCS to there. I knew the lieutenants that were there because they just left OCS the first year I was there. They were already being told about going to Afghanistan and being able to turn that unit to focus on a different environment. I'll I'll take a little bit of credit for that. I'll take a little bit of credit for that. Not much, but a little bit.
0: Right. You you mentioned OCS a couple of times. I have a quick gear changing question because because i'm sure you saw a lot of officer candidates not make it yeah why do candidates get kicked out of ocs what is there is there a fundamental underlying thing or is it just events three things
1: i don't have a quick answer for you because i just thought about what i'm saying i'm going i just thought of the question right yeah so I, I spent my first couple of months there as the sergeant major. Wasn't really involved in the boards process, right? And for all the officers, you know what I'm talking about when you go up to, to the boards. If you've ever been to a board, that's uh, a wake-up call, right? I guess. But, <laughs> so, yeah, right? Sergeant Major Barrett was there uh, for a period of time. And then when he left, I got frocked, and I spent about the last six months of the, uh, uh, my time there as the, as the OCS sergeant major. And I got to sit in the boards now with, with Colonel Mancini. And I will listen to the reasons while the, the candidates were there. Three reasons. One, they came there for future aspirations that didn't involve the Marine Corps. So their heart wasn't at it. But in other words, if I want to get into politics, I have to have a career in the military. I heard that very, very often for someone that wasn't doing well. Of course, our question was, well, why did you join the Marine Corps? Right. I mean, right. you know, There's other options. The other one was their heart. They were all in, where they found out. And this could be the supreme athlete. This could be the academic in college. Not so much in the juniors, as much as it was in the seniors or Bulldogs or PLCs, you know, 10-weekers. Their heart would give out, like not, not literally, but their heart wasn't in. It was too hard. It was too hard. And the last category, there's a difference between it's too hard and I have to, I have to give in and, and leave. And there's the ones that are just straight quitters. Quitters. Yeah. Uniquely, injury is a separate category, right? People get hurt. Sure. I would offer in two tours as a drill instructor and 13 cycles trained and graduated, it's the exact same three reasons for a recruit. I came here to get something to pad my career for the future. It was harder than I thought it was going to be. Or I'm a plain quitter. That's it. That's it.
0: Yeah, I think recalling back to when I was OCS, I don't remember anybody getting kicked out for integrity things. Right, actually, there was one, but most of them were quitters. They were they were quitters.
1: This is harder than I thought it was going to be. Well, you be. know what? This is bullshit. The bullshit ones are the ones like yeah, are the number you, you are, are the people difficult. number one, right? Yeah, a lot of people like just think they can't do it, and therefore they they tap out. You want to mm-hmm. keep on. You just can't. You can't pull their heart back into it, right? That's more of a psychological thing. And then there's people that came there and said, You know, I want to, I want to, you know, I got a law degree. I want to go be an intern in Congress. I have to have this freaking, and you'd be amazed how I many people that go to any officer program, any service that are there for their future, not, not for the now. Right. And as do we figure out who they are, right? I remember,
0: again, not my podcast, but I'll tell you, I thought OCS was hard. I thought, I, I think it was one hard. of the hardest, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. You know, you, you, it,
1: if you ask us, right? So it's all prior journal instructors that are there now. Training recruits is hard. It's hard because you're on them hours and hours and hours, and it's endless. It's endless, endless, endless. OCS is physically demanding. It is more physically demanding. Maybe not so much psychologically demanding on the sergeant instructors, Mm -hmm. but OCS is a screening process. Yeah, they're not building Marines. No, and we say so, right? It's a screening Mm -hmm. process. Part of that comes with the mental rigor and the physical rigor. That physical piece is very, it's harder than recruit training.
0: Yeah, I remember it being one of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire life. Staying on the topic of leaders, but, but this includes enlisted leaders too, so the question is broad. But have you seen over the course of your 30-some years in the Marine Corps, a common trait that derails leaders or causes them to fail?
1: Yes, and I think, we, I think no matter how long, you're, how long you serve, I'd say probably every service has this problem. At some point in time, it could be the first day you're in the Marine Corps or 30 or 40 years later, when you begin to believe that you are the reason, if you begin to believe that it's about you and not your service, not to the, not to the team, if, if your job, your skill becomes so overwhelmingly significant that you forget about being a Marine first, mm-hmm. you probably start to go in a different direction. And you may actually stay for a whole career and haven't felt that way for years. You're probably not contributing to the culture of the institution. Usually those folks weed themselves out because they get disenfranchised. Mm -hmm. The ones that are very active on social media after they get out and talk about all the problems there are what'd you do about while you're in? Oh, these are the things that affected you personally. So therefore it was about you, right? That's a trend that's probably timeless. When it becomes about you and not your service, then probably serve yourself instead of serving others, probably attract to to bad.
0: Right, earlier this week I lobbed out a question on social media and I said, give me some questions to ask the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. And they got classified into two buckets. One was asking you a question that had clearly something to do with them having a bad experience in the Marine Corps. And then the other bucket was like really great questions. And and it's it's amazing to me that your your comment about people complaining on social media and having it being about them, I think that's really accurate. And so, here's what I heard you say that is thrown back to the audience, which is, if you're sitting around complaining about something, you should be doing something about it. And it was General Bellin who said to me that he thought the greatest thing that was ever invented for Marine Corps leadership was social media, because in the old days, you would stand in front of your formation. And Marines would be thinking to themselves that something you were saying was fucked up. Now you have the opportunity to actually hear them say what they're actually thinking.
1: <laughs> and he's That's like, a good I, point. I think it's a it's a great source of intelligence. And um, you can also weed out the ones that, no matter what you say or do, they will never like what you say or do. Right. They don't like the Marine Corps. They're the ones that I mean. And again, the, the, at your question earlier: At what point in time did that individual Marine? Who came in with all good intentions get disenfranchised, right? What was what was that individual's experience, right? And I'll tell you, I'll <laughs> <laughs> tell you. Go ahead, I, it's 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 your platform. I know, yeah. Not that I have any examples, but I you'd be amazed how many friends and enemies you can make when you're the sergeant major of the Marine Corps. Not what was me, right? But people are a lot more vocal the higher up in the food chain that you get. We are all guilty of looking up and going, man what are they thinking? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can be at the top of the heap and look down and go, man, what are they thinking? It's a case of you forgot where you came from and you just don't get it. You know, it depends on what direction you're looking. Right. right. I, I, I got taught early on, don't worry about that. Worry about what's right around you that you can influence. That's great advice for any leader at, at, at
0: any level. I, I want to ask you some questions about battlefield courage. I, I asked some of the senior officers because mm-hmm. they remember this in the old fitness reports. And, and you may remember this from your time as a sergeant. It was the old blue fitness reports. Did you ever mm-hmm. get those? Mm-hmm. And they had that block that you would check for moral courage. And, and, and I like to ask this question because I, I personally think there's a huge difference between battlefield courage and moral courage. And I'm wondering if there was ever a moment where you felt like you were on dangerous ground and at risk or risking your career with a decision that required true moral courage not battlefield
1: courage i mean moral courage in your role at any point in your career yeah the job i have now is unfair that's every day not exaggerating i mean at this level you don't interact with just the marine corps mm-hmm you're uh, it's, a, it's a cross it's by it's by with and through <laughs> right it's it's every form of uh it's opcon, con, ad con, take con. You you name a you name a command relationship or some sort of flow chart. It's it's spherical, right? All the influences and people you 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 come in contact, and you're always asked for the same thing. Well, sh- just give candor. Okay, well, candor starts off with you know mother, right? And, and that usually doesn't get better after that, right? Uh, <laughs> True. So so be careful what you ask for. That's a great question. Moral courage. I think there's moral questions you have to ask even in so. Let me back up a second. I got an email from a Master of Guns the other day. Read, read, read one of the memos that I put out. I think it was the old Corps, new Corps, when like discipline, and you talk about courage. He had a senior I saw, leader. I saw that. It was on yeah. social media too. Yeah. yeah. It was about it, it, the question the Master of Guns asked me directly. He goes, I've got a senior officer who always puts non observed on courage on his Marines' finish supports because they're not in combat. I said, Well, first, let's determine what courage really is. Bravery and courage are not the same thing. So one of the things you can only have courage in combat is we're really talking about bravery. I may have the definition of the word wrong, but, but at the end of the day. Talking about no, bravery. I agree with you. Right, Get up, run in front of a machine gun fire, courage. Then why'd you give him a fucking B? <laughs> you know? It's, yeah. It wasn't half courage, right? It's either, either it is or not. So I think bravery is finite. It is or it isn't. Courage is the breadth of things. And again, I got to be careful how I say it. There are more decisions made outside of combat that have as equal impact as there ever will be in combat. Only because we spend most of our time not in combat. Right. It takes courage. And I, I use this example uh, to someone who was challenging the master guns perspective, because I, because I like to socialize some of these conversations. I said, let me ask you this question: You're late to work. You're on the 95. You're going south. You have a choice. Don't speed. Get there late. Get yelled at. Career impact. Speed, hit someone's kid and kill them, other impact. Right. Which one takes moral courage? To not speed. Not speed. And take the ass-chewing. Because the reason you're late isn't the fault of your leadership, and it probably isn't the fault of the person whose kid you ran over at the bus stop. Right. Okay, so point one time, you make the moral courage decision. That doesn't seem like a courage decision, but it is. The proverbial coming out of the, coming out of, I just passed somebody in the building today. You don't wear a backpack in the service Charlie uniform. Every right. other service does in their service uniform. If you're a Marine and do that, you know you're wrong. Right. Do you Agreed. stop and say, hey, senior person, I'm going to embarrass you right now, and you're going to be really offended by this because you think you know all the regulations and you know what's going on, but that's wrong. I'd say that is a courageous decision. Yeah. So I mentioned before
0: that I had asked some questions on social media. Here was an interesting one that came in from a leadership perspective. Because I got some funny ones. People want to know what color socks you wear in your camis now. Now it's uh, black and uh,
1: county brown because we changed it so that everybody that was wearing black socks is now within the regulations. Thank thank you, Marine Corps. Thank you. If you wear wear white ones, I'm still coming to get you. Okay.
0: Everyone is fairly worn there. But somebody had a great question uh, to ask you, which was, do you have any advice for a staff NCO from another branch who's coming to attend a Marine Corps staff NCO training course like staff and co academy or something like that i'm I'm assuming that staff and COs from other branches come through our training
1: i went to a a socom a soft academy and what i learned and this is this will answer your question that culture what they're talking about there to develop their leaders is what develops their leaders every service has a responsibility and a unique culture that's valuable right and if if we send a lot of our enlisted to other schools and other services and we and we have some too. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in the Air Force, let's say, and I'm going to, you know, gunning school, the advanced school, if I sit there the whole time and going, oh, that's BS. Oh, we would never do that. Oh, I'm glad I'm glad we do it our way. Okay, good. You should. You're an airman, right? Value what the other service is doing when you're there inside that academy. And additionally, offer how you all do it. That's the whole idea behind jointness, right? Here's my right. mission. Is there a different way to do it? Okay, yes, there is. a different way to think about it. So that's a shared experience, right? What you probably shouldn't do is come in, and I, I tell Marines the same thing if they go to another school. Don't go criticize, if you go to the Army Sergeant Major Academy, uh, how the Army thinks about leadership and how they develop their senior enlisted leaders. You're there to learn how they do it. You'll learn a lot more and probably you'll, you'll, you'll dislike. Don't spend your time disliking the things that's unique about the Army because you're a Marine. Waste of time.
0: Right that's good advice. Thanks. I have a question about the issuance of direct orders and knowing that there's a time and a place for the issuance of a direct order that must be immediately followed and a a combat situation comes to mind as an example of that. Should we be setting the conditions to encourage more collaboration between the junior levels of leadership in a unit and and one that sets the climate performance? or providing useful feedback instead of the, hey, you're doing this because I said so. Is there, is there an opportunity
1: to open that door a little bit in the appropriate settings? I've been in Marine Corps for a while, so I'll answer this question, right? The age-old question. This is not a new question. It'll, it'll be a forever question. Right. So anybody listening that says, yeah, you know, higher-ups nowadays don't give us any respect. Lance Corporal Black stood in the formation and said, the guy is out of his damn mind. He has no idea what's going on. Okay, so, so we're clear. How would, there is always a time to do it now because I said so. Right. Always. There's always a situation for that. Always. And there's a time to say, okay, hey, what do y'all think about this? Mm-hmm. Even long ago in my experience, there were times where, okay, hey, we need to do X, what do you guys think? Right. Okay, let's do it that way. Or I ain't got time to bullshit right now, do it this way. Okay, both apply. Here's also a lesson. Every single human being that serves in the U.S. military at the senior level has been at the junior level. And every single person, this, I'm the sergeant major of the Marine Corps, Lance Corporal Black in 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines, right, had a perspective on life. Every single one of us have been in positions where we've gone, this is bullshit. Mm-hmm. I'm not, that, that's a dumb idea. And for some reason, as we've continued to mature along in our careers, some people would call it institutionalized. You also learn. You also learn that bright idea was actually a dumb idea because you're 18 or 19 years old. And although it was a fascinating concept for for me when I was 18 or 19, right? As you get more mature, some decisions that are made aren't the wrong decisions. You learn that because every one of us comes from the same place, right? Right. I I wasn't born Sergeant Major Black. It was not. And we've already talked about some of that. I've told a lot of people to F off. I now know why I probably shouldn't have said that. It was very emotional for me at the time. So here's how I would answer the question. One, I also think one of the greatest benefits I got from leaders is they would listen to me. So any leader that doesn't listen, right? You may not necessarily do what people are recommending that you do, but listening is very powerful. Listening is very powerful when you have time to listen. Mm-hmm. The other thing is for leaders, if you don't ever have time to listen, you're doing too damn much, your unit's too freaking busy, slow down so that you can listen. And the other thing is, if you're the person that's not being listened to, be a squeaky wheel. Also be smart to understand that your, your bright idea, two or three days later, you may find out why it probably wasn't really a bright idea.
0: Right. Those are three great pieces of advice. And everybody listening to this needs to rewind the last three minutes and listen to, listen to those three things again, because I, I thought... That that was that was absolute gold. That answer is is powerful and should be synthesized by everybody listening. And we're coming up on the end of our time, and so I'm going to conclude here with with a question that has a lead up to it. As I get into your recently published memo about character, because I I want to talk about that a little bit. But again, on social, it's one of the things I love about social media. For all the things I hate about it, here's something I love about it: you just learn so much new stuff. Somebody said to me, "Hey, have you read General Zinni's?" guidance to staff NCOs from when he took over as the 9th Marines Regiment commander back in 1989.
1: I'd never even heard of it. What do you say? I've read it. What do you say? Well, I,
0: so I, I highlighted some of the things. And, and for listeners, I'm going to just cherry pick some of the <clears throat> right, this is a out.
1: Retired combatant commander. That's right. Back in the day, Vietnam lieutenant wrote a great book, by the way. Yeah. right. I mean, and, and a, from my generation,
0: as I was revered, It still is right i mean he's an iconic marine officer and leader and it's unfortunate that this isn't a little more well known i first of all never even heard of this command letter before and somebody brought it to my attention so i'll I'll cherry pick some of the things i'm going to read to you he says to all the officers and staff non-commissioned officers i have been fortunate in the 24 years that i have been a marine officer to always have had a high quality staff nco by my side The value of the staff NCO for me has been the experience, knowledge, and example that he brings to the unit. He has been there. He has successfully, you can tell this is 1989, right? Because it's all, he has successfully come up through the ranks. He knows how to best translate orders and directions into efficient and effective action by the Marines. It goes on. The mission of the staff NCO is not only to make better Marines, but also help make better officers. I would not wear the grade insignia I do now were it not for the staff NCOs I have been blessed to serve with. Together they form, together meaning the officers and the enlisted, the st- staff NCO. Together they form and lead the ideal military units. The key and this is the part I, I want to use as a transition into your memo the key is that we ensure each of these leaders possesses and maintains the skills and character required of their grade and that the relationship they develop is built on trust and mutual respect and a clear goal to accomplish the mission of the unit while tending to the welfare of the Marines. With few exceptions, a unit that fails or does not live up to our expectations will have at its root cause for its problems a lack of this quality team. There's more. I won't read it. But that resonated with me because I've recently came across your Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps memo where, and I will read the first paragraph of it for everybody listening and then let you jump in. Character is defined as the complex mental and ethical traits marking and often individualizing a person, group, or nation. For Marines, nothing should be more important to the nature of leadership than character. Individual skill or MOS performance should not supersede the character of the United States Marine Corps. As such, character Above skill is more significant in the expectation of a United States Marine. I mean that when I read that, I thought, "Wow, this is this is a really powerful memo and really important for people to understand." My my quick question here to give you an opportunity to to expand on this is: How do young leaders develop character, and how do senior leaders help them?
1: So, as a lead-in. There's nothing wrong with the character of Marines in the Marine Corps today. But every once in a while, it's a healthy reminder to think, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just remind everyone. So one of the ways, how do senior leaders do this? One, talk about it. The whole intent behind putting that letter out, uh, you'll probably find about three or four lines down, three or four paragraphs down. It talks about if you promote a Marine in in a formation, right, based upon how well they do their job, the Marines in that formation know that Marine better than probably the person that promoted them. Right. And they know who has character and who does not. They hang out mm-hmm. with them every day. So if we, if we only focus on the skill, right, it's the proverbial overweight Marine, right, that's really good at turning a wrench. We've all seen them. Yeah. That's a very valued individual in the organization. But they're outside of the standards of the Marine Corps, probably someone whose skill has superseded their character. And again, we can mince words and we can say that's a negative connotation, but the fact of the matter is, as a Marine Corps, the uniqueness of our institution is that we are all Marines first. Mm -hmm. We've had a good conversation about culture the last couple of three years. It does not matter. There's no, and be careful here, there's no hyphenated Marine. There's Marines hyphenated. In other words, you're a Marine infantryman. You're a Marine administrator. You are a a Marine. You're not a a more transport operator Marine. Right. Marine. The commonality, you graduate recruit trainer or officer candidate school, guess what? Marine. I don't care if you're an administrator and administration is the, the focus of main effort for this part of the operation. You're a Marine. Marines are expected to be So, again, senior journal instructor speech. A Marine is characterized as a one because this is the highest military virtue. Okay. It goes on to say, strive constantly to be the best at everything that you do. Discipline, spirit. We start day one with your character and then the expectations. Right? Learn everything that is taught. Be physically fit respect their rights and properties of all our persons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We sometimes look past how we bring people into the Marine Corps. And the power of the words there, like General Zinni's letter, the power of the words say something greater. So sometimes it's good to remind ourselves that character, look, it's the, it's the old story. If a Marine does something wrong, in the papers, it did not say their name. It says, a Marine did X. Mm-hmm. because the character of a Marine is supposed to be higher than that. They would cause someone to do whatever it is they did that was negative. The character, not how good of a truck driver they were, name the MOS. That's expected. Right. The character of the Corps, the character of the Marine is while we are the Marines. That's what makes us unique. Exactly. We are, we are different because of our character.
0: I think it's one of the things that we all enjoy— for the rest of our lives, is is carrying that title Marine. It's why we're so protective of it. It's why even to this day, when somebody says something about an ex-Marine, the hair stands up on the back of my neck. They don't understand why I'm correcting them. And I do. And they kind of laugh. They're like, oh, right. Right. And I'm like, yeah, you don't get it. But those are some sage words. And you're right. The character of the Marine Corps is so important. I, I think we can conclude with this one question. This is unscripted, but- I don't think you could, if you wanted to, stand in front of every single graduating class of Corporal's Course, but, but you can right now on this podcast. What are some great encouraging words for new emerging leaders graduating from Corporal's Course today that you can say on this platform to the brand new NCOs out there, words of encouragement about the Marine Corps, about the journey that they're about to embark upon as a brand new NCO, as it relates to the, to the NCO creed that they can take away from this, the, their on two pertaining.
1: Wow. A quick story. And then uh, maybe a couple of thoughts. Okay. So I got promoted to corporal uh, coming back from Desert Storm aboard the, aboard an LST. Hurrah. Yeah. And, and I'll never forget the company gunnery sergeant. Me and two other Marines got promoted to corporal. We were doing underway replenishment the next day after the promotion ceremony, and we got promoted to corporal. And the company gunny says, Hey, Corporal Black. He says, uh, You're in charge of a working party. You guys are going to go over there, and you're going to make sure these boxes get unloaded off of the, you know, off the little things that the, the Navy was bringing across. We, we were still doing our, as a of fact, it. MFA was all about ropes, it wasn't helicopters. Anyway, first time he'd ever called me by a rank and name. See, the day before that, I was just black.
0: Right. Now you're
1: corporal I didn't, black. I didn't necessarily catch that until later on in this example, right? He says, hey, corporal black, you're in charge of working party. Here's friggin' X number of Marines. Here's your mission. Go forth, do great things. Okay. I'm an NCO now. So I go over there. We start doing the working party. And because, see, yesterday, all these are my friends.
2: Because mm-hmm. like, I
1: corporals, right? Yeah, and that's hard. Uh, so I jump into the working party. I'm right in the middle. I never forget it. Moving boxes. I'm like, hey, come on, guys, go faster. I'm, in, I'm, I'm moving boxes. I'm doing this kind of thing. And a guy from across the flight deck yells, hey, Black, come here. So I run across the, the, the flight deck, and it's coming to Gunny. I say, Black, I told you to go over there and supervise this working party. You're, you're in charge. What are you doing moving boxes? A couple of other colorful words were in there. Sure. I'm like, because you said go move the boxes. And he said, no, that's not what I told you to do. I said, I told you to take those reins over there, be in charge of that working party, and move the boxes. Now, Corporal Black, I want you to go back over there. And supervise that working party. I went back over there. I got back in line again. Hey, Black, come here. He goes, let me tell you something. If I wanted you to be a Lance Corps Black, I wouldn't have promoted you yesterday. You're Corporal Black. Unfortunately for you, those are your subordinates. You've been put in a leadership position. You are now responsible for everything you do and, and fail to do. And I'm coming to you, Corporal Black, to make sure they do that. And he, he kind of gave me the lesson. If you get back in that formation again and start moving boxes, I'll never ask you to do another thing. Right. Off I went. So the lesson there, right, I, that, that's like day two of becoming an NCO. <laughs> it's the toughest thing to do in the Marine Corps is get promoted from Lance Corporal to Corporal. Because you and me have become a one of three things. A kiss-ass, a brown-noser, or a shitbag. Right? Define those terms any way you want to. But at the end of the day, when you, look, when you look over your shoulder and all your friends from yesterday who you get promoted on, on a Thursday and you're going to go out Friday night, letter of the law is, you don't get to go out with them anymore. Right. Because now you're branching a thing called fraternization. Sergeant so Major Kent put a little letter out about this, kind of like I'm putting these memos out. He puts them now on this fraternization thing in the enlisted ranks, hell, 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago. And it talked about there's a difference between a staff NCO and an NCO. There's a difference between an NCO and a Lance Corporal. There's a difference between a senior staff NCO, like a mash of guns and a sergeant major, and a staff sergeant, right? There's a difference.
2: Right. And if
1: we don't maintain those sort of levels of responsibility thereunto pertaining, right, we create these undue familiar relationships, and it's a complete breakdown of good order, discipline, respect for authority, because to your earlier question, at some point in time, I'm going to have to look at somebody and say, I didn't ask for your opinion. Do this. Right. Because it has to be done that way right now. We're not going to debate in the proverbial attack the machine gun hill. Right. I'm I'm debating left or right here. We're getting shot at. Go and do this. Right. If we don't bridge that gap and cut that off. I know how hard it is. I've done it four or five times in my career now. Right. It's the most difficult thing to do between Lance Corporal and Corporal the most difficult challenge and the ones that do it successfully don't disrespect their subordinates now. Right. Those are the kiss asses. Right. Right. Oh, you're mm-hmm. less than me now because I got promoted. No devil dog, You got a higher cutting score than I did. I'm still a better leader than you. That might be the case. Right. Right. But you have to change. You have to cut that off at the right level without disrespecting your subordinates in order for you to do your job, which now you're a non-commissioned officer, non-commissioned, but you're an officer. Right more pertains to you now. Right. That's the advice that's, I probably would give. That's fantastic
0: advice. I agree with you. I, I've, I've never, I wasn't prior enlisted, but I know that that is one of the hardest things to do is for a corporal to now one day wake up and lead their friends. I've seen it done well, and I've seen it done poorly like you have. Um, but that is some great advice and what a great story. And I'll wrap it up by saying this, that you just gave a vignette or story, a personal story where, a company Gunny had a opportunity to create a legacy learning environment for then Corporal Black that you just told me a story about as a Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. And I'll bet you if, if I had been standing there at that unwrap and said, Hey Gunny, do you understand that you just, you just created a 30 year leader right there with that one simple thing that you said, he would say officer. No, I didn't. He's a piece of shit. you know right. Something like that. <laughs> but, but, it happens, and you never know when it's going to happen, which is why I asked that question so long ago. How many of your lieutenants are, are colonels now? Staff NCOs really have a huge opportunity to leave leadership legacies with the junior Marines, with officers and everything else. It's such a position of responsibility, and I, I love hearing stories about that because it just reinforces that in a way that I don't know if you get in a school. I don't know if you get that in Staff CO Academy. I don't know if you get that at EWS. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that.
1: No, I appreciate the opportunity, yeah.
0: That was great. This is great. So uh, I, w- I will conclude with this. And tell you, I don't think that a lot of Marines get to walk up to the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps and compliment them and say, "Hey, hey, Sergeant Major, you're doing a great, you're doing a great fucking job." You know, I don't think they do that. So I'm going to do it on their behalf because when I posted, "Hey, I'm doing some questions," my in my DM box was filled with, "Holy shit, that is awesome! What a great Marine! I can't wait to hear this episode." So on behalf of the Marines out there who revere you and what you're doing in the Marine Corps. I just wanted to pass that along as a compliment. And just so you know that that's uh that's what Marines are saying out there about you. Sorry, major.
1: Uh, th- thanks for the compliment. I'm hoping that the, the, the inbox is full of more of those than <laughs> it, it, it was. <laughs> it it was. was. <laughs> right. Cause well, there's they, a lot of Um, it was, I th- let me say this. Thank you for doing doing this. I think I think, and I know this to be true, right? Unintentionally, and this, and this is for everybody that might listen to this. If if you decide to use this piece of it unintentionally, it is very very difficult to communicate. The higher you get in the proverbial food chain, with the masses, it just it becomes increasingly difficult. So please, everyone, know that it, that if you feel out of touch with your most senior leadership. It's not because they desire for it to be that way. The perspective is just so much different, not wrong or different. But let me say this. I have not come in contact with, and I don't say this because, look, I, I, I can't go up any higher than this. So I don't, I'm not trying to kiss anybody. Well, you could. You right could become here. the next SEAC. Yeah, that's, that's a different discussion, right? Okay. <laughs> um, but none of your senior leaders have forgotten where they came from. I don't live in a barracks room with six people in it anymore. True story, by the way, coming back from Desert Storm, I lived in a two-person barracks room with six Marines. Six, right? I don't live there anymore, but I have never forgotten about what it's like living in one barracks room with one wall locker, one shitter, and two racks with six Marines living in it. Never forgotten it. And sometimes when we try to translate that to the current resourcing of the defense budget in order to do facility support reinvestment and maintenance, I think that's what FISM stands for, right? That, that's all about, hey, I'd like to get like two racks in that one room and not six and better mattresses. And by the way, every time I turn the frigging hot water on and the lights go off, mm-hmm. okay, we got to and fix that. It's in different terms, but it's all about taking care of the very most junior Marine in order to make sure that that Marine has what they need. And sometimes it, it's just difficult for the Marines to see that because they don't see it happening right that inertia is incredible so here's the message one thanks for all the, the positive comments thanks that you're doing by allowing these senior leaders to really kind of give these stories because because there's a way there for the for for lance corporal black you know 30 33 34 years ago to go okay i may not agree i may not understand the fancy words they use but i can tell by how they say it their enthusiasm and likewise, if your inbox is getting filled up with a bunch, a whole bunch of questions, I will get more value out of that statement and this whole thing than anybody will get value of anything that I said because Marines are engaged. They right. want to be part of the problem. And I'll close mm-hmm. by saying that last thing that corporal needs to do is take the advice that my, my staff, NCOs, NCOs, and officers gave me. Challenge your leadership. Challenge them. Challenge them. That keeps them from telling you to shut up and color, right? challenge right. them i was told that by vietnam veterans who are my staff ncos challenge your leadership constantly that it was what that's what this is all about right here challenging conversing and communicating
0: yeah i i don't know Sergeant major just real quick a personal note i i don't know where this podcast project goes i just started it because you were talking before about how you're writing a book i was sitting around a fire pit with all my idiot lieutenant buddies a couple of years ago. And I said, if each one of us wrote the chapter of a leadership book based on the story that we just told sitting around the fire pit over some beers, it would probably be on the mandatory reading list for lieutenants at TBS. And then it was General Bellin who looked at me and said, you should just interview people for a podcast. That's how the whole thing started. And I don't know where it goes, but it's great. It's thanks to great guests like you who who talk about their experiences and and share their vignettes that uh, people are listening to this and they're learning a lot. So thank you very much for your valuable time. I really appreciate you being on today, Sergeant Major. So this has been uh, Sergeant Major Troy Black, who is the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps with a fascinating conversation about leadership in his career. And uh, again, Sergeant Major, thank you again so much for your time.
1: Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks.